trying to get in their end zone. Now Farrakh tries to give him some breathing room, and he's going to take a shot deep downfield, and open is Bernard Berrien, and the former Bear will go 99 yards for a touchdown. Wow. Now, if you can watch a 99-yard touchdown and not get excited, I do not want you tuning into this interview because I am super pumped up right now. We welcome in a man that I'm so pumped to talk to. I'm ready to stick my head through a wall. This NFL oh, vet, easy, David. <laughs> this NFL vet played for seven teams across 15 NFL seasons where he's accumulated 21,291 passing yards, threw for 114 touchdowns, and had a tidy 74.2 career passer rating. Ladies and gentlemen, a pro bowler, the legend of the 99-yard touchdown pass, and a silver fox, if I do not say so myself. Fear oh, not, good. because we have Gus Farratt. How's it going, man? I'm good, David. How are you doing? That was exciting to watch. And did you hear the first guy that was talking when I was dropping back? Uh, John Madden. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That you know, and and uh, obviously uh, ripped to John Madden. But uh, you know, when you get to you think about the era you played in, and and you know, he's called several of my games, and how cool that was, and. The 99-yarder is awesome, but to hear his voice at the beginning was uh, kind of gave me some chills. Yeah, to be honest, when I was like looking up that highlight last night and I saw that, I was like, this is perfect to have that him call that because I believe didn't that was right around the time where he stepped away from the booth, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the last year or two that he was calling Yeah, I think he was done after that year or the next year. I'm not sure when it was. So that was that would have been 08, and uh, I don't know if he retired the next year or that, that year. I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, it was a great call and obviously a great play by you. I can't imagine when you're in the back of your end zone. I mean, it's hard to see like right in, what's in front of you instead of also it's like 30 or 40 yards downfield. So uh, a, a great play. But you're obviously, besides that great play, there's a lot to your NFL career that I want to get into. And obviously the stuff after your career you've been doing. But I would be remiss if I didn't start with your Ford City High School days. You were a letterman in football, basketball, and baseball. And you basically decided to enroll with football with the University of Tulsa. Now, I got to ask you, was it tempting first to pick a different sport or was football always your best one? And then was a good recruitment pitch from Tulsa done to get you to go there? Uh, no, well, football was, I just was a big kid, you know, and we didn't have, we only had 18 kids on my team. Mm -hmm. So I was like the biggest kid. I wouldn't say it was the most athletic kid, but we ran the wing tee, didn't throw it that much. Uh, but football for me, it was a challenge in high school. I broke my neck in ninth grade. I didn't play football in ninth or 10th grade, and I never played quarterback until I was a junior. And um, it was even scary then just because of everything I went through earlier. So I played baseball. I uh, loved baseball. Um, we won state championships, and I always thought maybe I had a chance at baseball. But then and I love basketball too, but I, you know, I couldn't jump. I could just box people out. And, uh, you know, when, when it got to my senior year, I, I played football. And back then there was no huddle. There was no internet. There was no like putting your, putting your game, best games on your phone and letting people see it on, on social media. Uh, you basically cut your best plays out and put them on another videotape and send it to as many coaches as you could. And Tulsa did recruit me a lot. I was recruited by Tulsa, Louisville, Temple, uh, Kansas State. Uh, Michigan was early, and then they got another quarterback, and they quit recruiting. But Tulsa was the best for me just because um, David Rader, who was the head coach, came to visit me twice, uh, showed a lot of interest. They threw the ball all the time. You know, I was 6'5", 200 pounds back then. And... Uh, you know, it was just something that it was either go to a small school and play baseball or go to a Division One school that wasn't a huge Division One school, but where a lot of kids, we had a lot of kids from Pittsburgh, so it made it comfortable. And so I picked Tulsa, even though it was a thousand miles away from home. Uh, and my parents weren't super excited about that. They wanted me to go to closer to like Louisville, which was like eight hours away, where Tulsa was like 16 hours away. So, uh, but I picked Tulsa and uh, I just, it was good for me to get out of my little town of Fort city and go, you know, go to Oklahoma. Uh, you, you kind of, it's a whole different world. You know, I had roommates that were from Philadelphia that couldn't make it there. Like they had, they left the middle of their freshman year just because 
they missed home. And that wasn't ever me. I just wanted to play and, and get out and do, you know, you got to see things you never saw when you were in a small town in middle Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's kind of cool because you really wanted to spread your wings, go out there away from the town that you grew up in and really go out on your own and kind of have your own life away from everything. So I really respect that. And I mean, your career at the University of Tulsa, you started eight games as a redshirt freshman, which I don't think a lot of people realize how hard it is to start as a redshirt freshman, especially as a quarterback, because redshirt freshman, usually you don't see a lot of people there redshirt freshman year, you see them their regular freshman year. And in 1990, you obviously uh, started after TJ uh, Rubley was injured, finished and uh, did really well, obviously, as the school. But you basically finished as the school's second ranked all time passer behind him, throwing for 5,480 yards, 32 touchdowns. And during your time in college, you actually had 2,871 yard passing yards as a senior, which was the most by a Tulsa quarterback in 28 years. So I got to ask you. Is, was it more impressive to you that you were able to put up those type of numbers as a quarterback or the fact that you were averaging 35 and a half yards per punt as you handled punting duties as a sophomore? Yeah, I, I don't know. Probably I love the punting duties because <laughs> I, I just wanted to be on the field any way I could. And uh, I worked, I punted in high school. I never left the field in high school, right? I was a kickoff guy, the punt guy. And the only time I didn't, I uh, wasn't on the field was on, on uh kickoff return. Uh, that was the only time I never was out there, but uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, you can't do anything alone. I had good coaches at Tulsa taught me really how to, you know, throw the football because wing T you're always, we were never in shotgun. We were always under center. And then you get to college, you learn a little bit more how to be a drop back passer where today these kids are learning that at the age of seven and eight, you know, <laughs> they, they, they got a head start in everyone, but for throwing for all those yards, I had some incredible players on our team, Chris Penn, our receiver. I mean, he and I hooked up for 106 passes, I think our senior year in only, I think nine games. So we were just throwing the heck out of it. Uh, but to go back and think about it, I loved being versatile and being able to punt. I wasn't a great punter, uh, but you know, it was, it was, I just, I think coach knew I wasn't going to make a mistake back there um, because I've had played in games where our punters would, we were playing Oklahoma one year and we had a punter and we're right with them in the first half. And it was the end of the first half. And I'll never forget it. We're like, I think we're actually tied or we're winning by three or something. And all we got to do is just be safe and punt the ball away. And uh, he takes seven steps on his punt and they get, they block it. They weren't even trying to block it. The guy was just there blocked it and then they take it back for touchdown basically the game's over at that point and I was like yeah I should have stayed the punter at that point but yeah I love both both I just love having that leadership and that uh, being able to have control of the game like that it was it was a lot of fun and uh, it's a lot better than sitting and watching is it scarier when you're a quarterback and you have a pass rush coming at you or is it scarier as a punter when you have the whole defense coming at you like that when you're trying to punt the ball away no, I mean, you kind of know that they can't really hit you. You know, if you get hit, then it's going to be a penalty on them. So they're trying to block it, but they're not trying to hurt you. A quarterback, they're trying to hit you, right? <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're not out there to block your pass. I mean, they do that, but they're more to, to put their helmet in the middle of your back and take you down. I mean, the Raiders and the Chargers the other night, like Justin Herbert to me, I, I tweeted out that he – earned the respect of anyone who loves football in that game because he was just getting knocked in the dirt every other play. I mean, his right tackle was having tr major troubles and then he'd step up and other narrators had a good pass rush. And, uh, you know, I feel like they didn't do anything to help him protect himself. And that dude just got up, kept throwing it. I mean, he's a big kid, strong, and mm -hmm. just was making play after play. Um, so the difference between a punter and a quarterback is like, you know, you know they're coming as a punter. And I think it's more stressful because, you know, you can shank one or, you know, you can drop the ball because nobody really notices you until you make a mistake. Right. Right. It's like being a holder on on uh, when I held for, you know, extra points of field goals for for kickers. Nobody notices you until you drop the ball or you make a mistake. But, you know, as a quarterback, everybody notices you and that job of that defense is to put your. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I again, I give you guys so much credit as quarterbacks because I can't imagine a defense coming down at you like they do, putting their helmets into your back, trying to basically just destroy you every single play. Before we get to your NFL career, though, I did read that you were part of a fraternity in college, the Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity. Is that correct? Yeah, I was. I was. Well, it's a, it's a strange situation because um, usually there's a whole process that, you know, you've seen in movies and you hear about the guy's got to join a fraternity. Well, Pi Kappa Alpha on the Tulsa campus was struggling. It looked like, it literally looked like the animal house, right? Like when you walk in, it was, <laughs> you know, there's stuff everywhere. It wasn't clean. It was, and they had like three members. And so they approached it, but we knew some of those guys. And so they approached a bunch of us football players and said, look, we're just trying to get our fraternity back up and we're trying to, uh, you know, be noticed on campus again and get membership back up. Would you guys, you don't have to go through any of the process. Uh, you can just be members and come to some of our parties and, you know, hang out that so that helped out and, and we became members without having to go through all the things that you hear about fraternity guys have to go through. So I am a part of uh, Pi Kappa Alpha, but I don't, you know, normally do any of their um, stuff as an alumni. You know, I know that they have a magazine, Diamond and Shield, and and uh, I've been in that a few times. But other than that, you know, it was just to help the guys out at, at school. Yeah, I was going to actually ask if there were any wild stories that you'd be able to tell from those days. But uh, it's kind of cool. You didn't have to worry about any of those like initiation things that you have to do. Some are pretty wild, actually, that like even well, from like that you hear. But we did we did enough in in football. When you're a freshman and you come in, they still were, <laughs> they call it hazing, but it was kind of like an initiation. And uh, I don't know if I can get into anything that our veteran football players did to us at Tulsa. Um, and uh, it was just a night. And, uh, you know, they woke you up in the middle of the night. We had a game room because if we had a football dorm, all the football players, just a football dorm, which was insane. And um, they said, hey, come down to the game room where there's a pool table and everything. And you come down, and you're, it's the middle of the night, and all the freshmen are in there, new freshmen, and they just do what they did, and it was not pretty. And you get through that, you know, next five hours, and then you're good. You don't have to worry about anything. But some guys hated it, and some guys fought it, and it was insane. And then uh, pretty much, you know, later on, guys went through some bad stuff and told their parents, and then it kind of all that went out the window. Oh man, I can't even, I can only imagine what they had you guys do, but it's kind of cool. I mean, that's, it's ultimately a bonding experience when you do that. Cause everybody goes through it and then you get to do it to the others. And as long as it's nothing that's where like, it's, it's, it's something that could be deadly, you know, or, or something that's someone's going to seriously hurt that I think it's fine. I don't, you know, think it's a big deal. Well, I'll just give you this visualization. There were a bunch of us taped up around uh, whatever the sorority <laughs> is with the anchor. We were taped up around there and we were all naked. And then you see one of our, our teammates, Kevin Seamster, who was a freshman running down the street, running away from all these seniors who are trying to catch him and uh, whatever they did to him. But uh, yeah, that's a vivid memory I'll have. I'll never forget. Oh, yes. we did get a good, a, a good story from your college days there. Uh, yeah. I right. can't say too much. It was, uh, some of it was crazy. Oh man. Uh, well, I'll tell you, it was very interesting because you went from that and then you get drafted into the pros. Seventh round pick in the 94 draft, the 197th overall pick by Washington. But it's interesting because that same draft, they selected Heath Schuler as their first round pick, the third overall pick that draft. But by the next season, you were starting over him because of injuries and his struggles adjusting to the pro game. I'm curious, did you expect be you being a seventh round pick and him being the third overall pick that you would be thrust that quickly? Like, had you been seeing things in practice that made you already ready to go by that point? Or were you kind of shocked that that quickly you were starting for the team? Well, I think that what majorly happened, I mean, obviously we have, when you're a rookie, you come in kind of through the off season, but you come in later than all the other guys and you go through a little bit and, you're just a seventh rounder. You just take whatever they give you and, and hopefully you can make the team. And then we got to training camp and he's held out. He wanted more, you know, want a bigger contract. He held out. So he didn't show up for all of training camp. And I took every single one of his reps. I was a rookie on the team that year. Our other two um, guys, Pat O'Hara and John Freeze, 
Um, they were the veterans. So they took the veteran reps and all the reps that Heath was supposed to get, they gave me. And I earned the trust of a lot of guys on the team so that when it came throughout the next year and a half or so, you know, I was almost on equal ground with the players. Now, with the general manager and the head coach, it's not the same. You know, a first rounder is never the same. You know, he's no matter what he does, he's going to be way above a seventh rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes you some, op, you know, some time, opportunity. Uh, if I would have went in my first game against Indianapolis and not played well, probably wouldn't have been a very good career for me because you only get one shot. There's not many times they give you more than one shot to go prove yourself out, out there. And uh, when I was able to go out and have a good game, I was nervous as hell. And, uh, you know, Heath was a good guy. I think that just some of the circumstances that he had to deal with and being a number one, there was a lot of pressure on himself. Uh, I don't think that was the exact offense that he fit into either. You know, he kind of would fit. I think he would do very well in like these offenses today mm-hmm. where the quarterbacks have more leeway to scramble to run around because uh, he was amazing at running the football. You know, I think he scored 21 touchdowns in college at Tennessee a senior year just running. So, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if that uh, North Turner's offense fit him that well. But, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity and just basically hard work and doing whatever I could, staying late, uh, throwing as much, studying, doing all that. And uh, that's kind of what helped me create a career. Yeah, it's very interesting you bring up the system, too, because I heard Joey Harrington talk about it on a different podcast where he said, you know, the system that he started in didn't really work out for his skill set, but they kind of forced him to adapt to what they did. And, you know, it didn't allow him to use his skill set. So it's very interesting, I think, in today's day and age, quarterbacks now, it's like if you draft a quarterback, you do whatever works for them because you want them to succeed. But, you know, just, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that's not the case. And you could see that maybe guys would do better in different systems, but it did ultimately work out better for you because you were able to keep that starting job till 98. And you even were a pro bowler in 1996 because you had, you know, almost 3,500 passing yards, which was sixth best in the NFL. You also were ninth in pass completions, and you were third in the league in average yards per pass completion, a category you actually led the season before. Uh, now, as you were starting to really just hone in on this job, did the game seem to slow down for you? Did you change any ways you prepped? Uh, did anybody instrumental come along the way to really give you a big boost to that next step forward? Uh, my first coach, uh, not head coach, but quarterback coach, Cam Cameron, mm-hmm. uh, he and I work closely together every day. Um, and whatever I wanted to do, he was out there. We basically came in the NFL at the same time. So we were both rookies kind of, but he had a lot of coaching experience from Michigan. Uh, he played quarterback himself, so he knew what he was doing. And, uh, for my three years there, I had Cam and, uh, it was just, uh, I loved working with him because he was a good go between, between coach Turner and I, he and coach Turner had a good relationship. Coach Turner had a decent, okay one, you know what I mean? Because Coach Turner's first pick that he ever made was he Schuler mm-hmm. as a head coach. And the seventh pick was basically the one that GM wanted. So it's not like, uh, you know, not that he wasn't rooting for me. Obviously, he wanted me to do well. But I think there was just a little kind of animosity there mm-hmm. um, between a first and a seventh round pick, which I get. I completely understand. Yeah, but I mean, you ultimately were the one that was leading Washington to to relevancy at that point. And Ultimately, you end up going to the Lions in 1999. You played well, even though you were you were backing up Charlie Batch. You had an over 60% completion percentage, was fourth best in the league, an over 80% passer rating in the top 10, and you actually had the best passer rating of your career when starting six or more games at that point. You even started a playoff game against Washington that year. How badly did you want to win that game? Well, it wasn't as bad as you would think because we played them in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And we wore him out pretty good. So that was kind of my redemption game, if you want to say that. And then the playoffs, we just wanted to win. Like, we didn't care. We didn't have – we didn't start off great. Uh, I remember my fullback didn't uh, block the guy who was supposed to block, and I got blindsided the first pass play. And, uh, you know, I basically my pinky on my right – my throwing hand was sticking straight out to the side. And I was like, oh, this doesn't look good. And I held it up in the huddle. And I was like, I'll be right. Let me call a timeout. I'm going to go get some tape on this. And they just had our number that day. We weren't very good. But I loved the Detroit team. I love being in Detroit. Um, and, you know, uh, I wish I could have – I really wanted to stay there. But ultimately, they decided that they wanted to stick with Charlie. 
and they asked if I would just get a basic contract. And I was like, look, I understand that, but you know, you can plainly see I played better than Charlie and I was in the top percent in the league. I, I would like to, you know, at least have a chance to compete. And uh, for some reason, Jim Zorn didn't think so uh, because, you know, one of the things they said was, you know, I screw around too much. And I'm like, well, what do you, what, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you're not serious all the time. I'm like, we're here 10 hours a day. Like you don't have to be super. I'm sure that every quarterback has a moment where they like to fool around. I was a prankster. I played pranks on people and, but it wasn't mean. It wasn't like in practice. It wasn't at other times. And, um, you know, some coaches didn't like that, whatever, but then I end up leaving, going to Denver and, uh, you know, but I love, I absolutely love that team. And, uh, from the minute I got there, I love that team in Detroit and wish I could have been there a long time. I feel like I would have loved being your teammate. I, I like the kind that can be very serious at times when they need to, but also can keep the locker room and everybody loosened up, have jokes to keep everybody loose. And, and you know, I don't like, I mean, again, obviously I've never been in an NFL locker room, but I feel like having a good mix of both and knowing the right times of when to do and when not to do it. But I think that would ultimately be better for a locker room rather than, especially you, as a leader of like a quarterback like yourself. Well, I think too, is that the season is really long. Guys get beat up. There are lulls in the season. And, uh, you know, I just, for my thing was like, you knew the guys that you could do it to because they weren't going to get mad. They'd laugh about it. You never wanted to do it to, a, um, say, a guy that couldn't handle it, you know, that would put him in a bad place if you played a prank or a practical joke on him or something like that. Uh, so, you know, it's just when you when you you got to break up the monotony sometimes. And that was what I'd like to do. Um, and I didn't try to be vicious. Maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick would say I was kind of vicious when I did it, but <laughs> but he could take it. So uh, he was always a good sport about it. But it it was just something I loved to do. And, and, you know, if I ever hurt anybody's feelings or they didn't like it, I would tell, hey, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't know that this was going to affect you that way. You know, we're just trying to lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah, no, I really like that. And Again, just kind of going back to you, uh, your career again for a second. You you go to Denver. You play well in ten games, six starts for Brian Greasy, and again, you ball out. Like you're you're doing great things when you're in there. And my first question was originally going to be, why do you think it took so long for them to finally give you another starting gig? Because you eventually did get one in 2002 with Cincinnati, but they pulled you after just three games. And I think that's, I mean, again, this is me saying this. So you don't, you know, if you don't feel comfortable saying you don't have to. I think it's very unfairly judging you after three games, after all that you did backing up these guys over these last few years. Do you felt like, I mean, again, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but do you feel like that you were unfairly given a chance for Cincinnati showing what you have done over the last few years prior? Well, I love Denver. My family loved Denver. I mean, I had three kids at that point. I have some good friends in Denver, um, you know, on the team. And it was just a great community. And uh, I didn't really want to leave. And I went to Coach Shanahan after the second season. I said, hey, you know, Den I, you know, I got hurt. I blew my shoulder out that year and had a rehab. And, and I said, uh, hey, you know, Cincinnati called. And I wanted to talk to head coach about this. And, and I said, Cincinnati called. They would love me to come compete for a starting job. But I really want to stay here and compete here. Um, and at that time, I'm in a sling. And I got my shoulder because I, I um, completely separated my shoulder against the Chiefs. And he basically looked at me and said, hey, you got to do what's best for you and your family. And I was like, okay, coach, all I wanted you to say was just stay here. We love having you here. You know what I mean? And, and at that point, I was like, okay, I got to go. And Coach Shanahan had a lot of – he was a good coach, but he had a lot of business side to him too. You know, he, he it's a business. You know, it's not, it's not a game. It's not high school football or college. It's a business. And uh, they're going to they're gonna do what they think is best for their business and their company. And so I left and go to Cincinnati and win a job against John Kitna and Achilles Smith. Um, but I quickly realized through training camp and things like that, that this organization is like, an, an, like unlike any other I've been a part of, right? It, it's not as professional. There's crazy things that go on. And I wanted to win. And when I go and sit at a table with a couple of veterans who were there and I say, hey, look, what, what can we do to change this? What can we do to come in here and be better? And and they basically laughed in my face and said, you're not going to change these guys, you know? And so competing in in Cincinnati was great. Love playing football, love competing against the other quarterbacks. 
but there's there were things that were stacked against you other than just playing against the defense right it was coming from in-house that were having poor opportunities we had great players schemes were not great um the way we worked out was not great um different things were not good and that year was tough for me uh i have to admit i, I played three games got hit a lot you know guys weren't competing like they should john kitna had been there john kitna played a lot that year uh, he did a really good job mentally of being able to handle the downs because I wouldn't say there were many upset here. <laughs> and I, um, after I was benched, I went through a pretty a tough time mentally and just had to deal with those things. And thank God we had Coach LeBeau because he walked me through a bunch of that. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I left an incredible place like Denver to go to a place like Cincinnati. No offense against Cincinnati. I loved it there, but you know, and, and it was more the team aspect and everything I was going through moving my family. Um, but, you know, it wasn't my favorite place. And uh, um, I don't know if Coach LeBeau had all the control. You know, there were, I think there were other people pulling the strings. Yeah, and one of the things I, that I did note from your time in Cincinnati was I don't think people give you enough credit. You were the first left-handed pass as a right-handed quarterback. Everybody talks about Patrick Mahomes. But you had the first. He switched it to your well, left. Well, he completed right. his. I completed mine to the wrong guy. <laughs> and then I completed mine to a guy I played with the, with the Redskins, Richie Owen. Uh, no, wait. Who was? No, uh, Kennard Lang, I think it was. Um, so, Kennard, I threw it. And he was playing for the Bengals at that time. and uh, Or he was playing for the Browns. I think that's who I threw it against. And uh, I was just trying to get rid of the ball and not take a sack. And it ended up, you know, the guy catching it. <laughs> but maybe he watched film. He's like, "Hey, if, if uh, you know Gus Rott's doing it, let me try doing it too. Like he's got something here. He could have." I mean, yeah, I, I think I think Patrick could probably throw better than me with both hands. So uh, <laughs> the, the dude's a stud. He is. He's something special. That's for sure. Uh, but back to the, your career, the last parts of your career, you bounced around over the next few seasons. You back up Dante Culpepper in Minnesota. This is when I started watching you. This is like when I started following football. Uh, backing up Dante Culpepper in Minnesota. Then you start in Miami and you lead them to nine wins, throw 18 touchdowns. Then you go back to, then you go to the Rams and you back up Mark Bolger for a couple of years. And then you finish out your career in Minnesota and you go eight and three until a back injury forces you out. And I remember this time because I was watching the Vikings a lot. And I remember just thinking like, Hey, like I know they want Tavares Jackson to be the guy, but you were the better quarterback at that time. And I felt like it was just kind of unfortunate because that back injury, I think you could have, continue to lead that team a lot better than uh what ended up happening there do you have any regrets over those last few years no i mean uh i worked hard i love the vikings i love minneapolis uh the fans they were incredible um uh you know that offense that we were in that west coast coach children's offense you know he came from the andy uh reed kind of tree daryl bevel was um the coordinator i mean obviously it threw a 99 yard pass with them and uh it was a it was a great experience. I was 38 years old. We're playing the Detroit Lions in Detroit. Throw a pass. It gets batted up in the air, and a D lineman catches it. And I tackle him and twist, throw him down, and break my back. I uh, Basically, on the side of your spine, there's little facets that come off, and I fractured three of those. And immediately, something's wrong, right? You, you, your body protects it, and you clinch up. I couldn't even walk. Um, and so we're playing really and uh you know i'm thinking like i go to coach childress and i say hey look the doctor says like uh, i can come back in a couple of weeks so i work my tail off going to rehab all the time and and trying to get back trying to get healthy and let my body heal and so we got a very important game coming up uh, i think it was we were going to play the falcons and i know that like where we are in the standings if we beat the falcons and then New York the next week had already made the playoffs, so they were going to not play their starters. So if we win our last two games, we get a first-round bye, which would have been incredible. But I, I worked my tail off to get back to play Atlanta. Coach said, no, I'm going to go with uh, Tavares, rest his soul. Um, and I said, okay, it's your choice, Coach. I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm, he goes, okay, let me see how you practice. I went out and had a great practice. Yeah, I was a little stiff, but, you know, just making all the throws, doing everything I need to do. And uh, after practice, I said, let's go, coach. Let's go win this game. And he said, no, we're going to go with your kid. And I said, okay, that's, that's your choice. So Tavares plays. We got we got dusted pretty well. 
The next week, Tavares plays against New York. We end up winning. And then uh, we play our first playoff game. And I said, okay, coach, I'm ready to go. You know, it's been like four weeks now and I'm completely healed. And he said, no, I want to, I want to continue with the kid. You know, it's the guy they drafted. I get it. You know, um, they didn't bring me in to be the starter. They brought me in to back him up. And, uh, and we, we got crushed in that playoff game as well. And I don't have any regrets about that. I just wish he would have given me an opportunity so that we could have had a better run in the playoffs because we had a really good team. We had incredible defense. We had Jared Allen and, and Kevin Williams and Pat Williams. And Mm -hmm. we just had, you know, we just had a great team. Yeah, that's with uh, also Antoine Winfield was on that defense too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, a lot of guys. You know, we had Chester Taylor, former mm-hmm. Raven, and came there. He was an incredible, you know, third down back. We just had a really good team. We had a, a lot of good parts. And uh, no offense against Tavares, but, you know, he wasn't ready. No, I, I, again, I remember that's this is like the time I started watching. And it's just like it was easy to tell who the better quarterback was. But you're like, hey, I want to give this person – time to I want he's our future but at the same time like if he if you're the better quarterback if your team's like you're kind of seeing right now with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance right like Trey Lance is the future but they're starting Jimmy Garoppolo with a bad finger right now because he's giving them a better chance to win and I, I feel like right. like th- that's a very similar type of situation with you and Tavares was that you like you were the better quarterback at that time maybe you're not the future but you're the now and like this season, you should be the one on the field leading that team. It's unfortunate that uh, Brad didn't feel the same way, but you know. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I wanted to stay. I wanted. To, I had a two-year contract, and I wanted to, you know, and that which in the NFL it means doesn't mean anything, right? They can cut mm-hmm. you anytime they want. Um, I had a two-year. I'm like, okay, I'll just stay. I'll be back. I'm like, I loved it here, and they're like, uh, no, we're gonna let you go. And I'm like, why? They're like, oh, we're gonna sign Brett Favre <clears throat> because Daryl Bevel knew Brett Favre, Coach Childress knew Favre. Uh, they wanted him to come in. It was his, uh, he had a great year that next year with the Vikings. I'm like, just keep me here. We'll have two 40 year olds. Who cares? You know what I mean? Well, and Favre didn't get hurt at all. And they wanted Tavares to learn from Favre, which I get. I mean, the guy's a Hall of Famer, an incredible player. Um, and then I, you know, I went back home to St. Louis where my family was because I commuted that year. Uh, and the doctor flunked me in my physical. And I was just like, okay, I'm done. This is it, you know? It, I'm not I'm not going to be a drifter and go try to go to another team and move my family for the ninth time. But, uh, you know, I love Minnesota. That was all good. I just wish I could have played in those last four or five games. It would have been really fun to watch. But again, a 15 year career. Uh, nothing. I mean, again, 15 years in the NFL is nothing to sneeze at. That's pretty awesome. But not only did you do good stuff in the NFL but right now, you're doing a lot of good things, too. You got the Huddle Up with Gus podcast. And technically, I guess we're competitors because we're both sports podcasters <laughs> doing sports podcasts. You're just well, obviously bigger than I am. But uh, I like your name, Triple Play, though, you know, and I like your intro. It's really good. Thank uh, you. Podcasting is not easy, you know, and especially to put it out there and to make it a little different. There are a lot of sports podcasts and we know there's over mm-hmm. a couple million podcasts going on right now. Uh, it's crazy, you know, how many people are doing it. So you have to make it different and interesting. And I like, I like what you're doing. Um, and it's just, you know, I've been doing it since 2019. I've interviewed a lot of guests and I'm kind of like you, I kind of focus on, you know, what they want to do, what, what their past was like and how it got them to where they are and huddle up with Gus started with my good friend, Dave Hager. Uh, we were just so tired of listening back in 2019. Nobody podcasts weren't really a thing. I think when I started, mm-hmm. there were only 700,000. Right. And there were like 60 podcasts just on knitting back in 2019, which is crazy. So my buddy Dave and I, we hated our sports, local sports here in Pittsburgh, like the radio. Right? There was only one station that talked sports and we just didn't enjoy listening to them. And we said, let's tell our own stories. Right. Like, there's, there was nothing ever about the local stuff like high schools and things like that. Now, since the pandemic and everything, more people have popped up to talk about local things and all that. And so we just started out he and I doing a, a show and we wanted to talk to people about sports and how it shaped their life. And our first guest ever was Roberto Clemente Jr. in the Clemente Museum in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, I've known Roberto Jr. for a long time and he came on and we talked about his dad, his family, all the memories he had, Manny Sanguian would come over, you know, just these incredible stories. And then, uh, talking about, you know, when his dad passed in the plane crash and all that. And, uh, you know, we realized at that point that, and he realized that he had to go through some mental stuff from all that. And he had PTSD 
from when his dad left um, and on that plane to go help and, and passed away and when the plane crashed. And uh, he still had traumatization from all that stuff he told us because he was never him. He was always his dad, right? When people would meet him because people wanted to meet and touch Roberto Clemente. Mm-hmm. He was the junior. So he said, like, I was always my, like, people saw me as my dad and not me. And that had to be really tough. That's for him. heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It was really heavy stuff because he would go to the museum and see the piece of the plane that they found. And, uh, you know, a lot of that was tra- uh, very traumatizing for him. And so I think he's been better since he's gotten some kind of help. But I mean, for that to be our first guest, and Dave and I were both huge Pirates fans. We've always have been. And we've just gone through such a lull here in Pittsburgh for baseball. Uh, but we were both like old Pirate fans. You know, like I grew up, my dad's favorite was Roberto Clemente, mm-hmm. listening on the transistor radio on the back porch. And so just to be able to interview Roberto and ask him questions I always wanted to ask him was was incredible. And, and there the podcast was born and and we've been going strong ever since. I love it. I mean, you've had some really good guests, too. Like, I just wrote that. I mean, you had Joe Namath in 2021. You have Warren Moon about to come on the show. I mean, you're getting some big dogs, man. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, today we're going to have, I'm going to enter tonight, I'm going to interview Dottie Pepper. Obviously, she played in the LPGA for, like, since from 98, from 88 to 2004. Mm-hmm. I think that long. Um, now, uh, a lot of people probably know her from watching the Masters. She's the lady that walks uh, on the fairways with the guys and interviews them. She's the lead broad, you know, um, I forget what they call it uh, on, it's not on field on course broadcaster, uh, that walks and interviews the guys during the matches. So, um, it's pretty amazing her career. Um, so I, my thing is I, I can interview anyone, right? It's all about sports and how it shaped your life. So right. I've had Matthew McConaughey on, uh, Did you really? I've had, uh, I've had doctors on, uh, you know, we, we, I'm getting Muggsy Bogue said he's just coming on. So I can't wait to talk to him, Ooh. but it's all about cause sports, you know, we all have a, a commonplace with sports, whether you played it, you watched it. Um, and there's something that binds all of us and you learn something from it. I just, I had to go to the doctor yesterday to talk about getting my shoulder operated on. And, um, he was telling me about how it, it's so good for, he didn't want his sons to play. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He didn't want his sons to play football because of all the concussion stuff that we hear. He said, but then I realized once they started how good it was for him to be part of a team and have them be trusted by other players, have them trust other people, be coached, listen to a coach, have a coach rip them or chew them out. And then that's okay. Right. Because that's part of life. And, and uh, he said, I just knew that they missed a little bit, even though there's some bad sides from football, there are some incredible upsides from football that can teach you lessons that you would never learn in school or other places because you just can't teach that in the classroom. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're a teacher and you go rip a, a, a student, like a football coach would, it probably wouldn't end up well. No, I wouldn't have a job after that, but I, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Actually. I mean, between the guests that you're getting, the lessons that you're, or, you know, that they're telling everybody that from their experiences and, it's it sounds like a really awesome podcast. I I know for a fact when we're done with this, when I go to the gym, I'm going to listen to the Roberto Clemente one. Uh, Roberto Clemente yeah, that Jr. was a long time ago, but you'll be able to to find it. And then, uh, you know, it's just it. And for me, I don't know about you, where you who hosts your podcast or who uh, puts it out there for you. I've had three or four different companies that I've used, right? Because mm-hmm. they've they've either not made it or you want to move because they're not helping you enough. Uh, because as you know, as a podcaster, there's so many things that are involved in podcasting. It's not just a, a simple interview like this. Now you have to cut it up. You have to you have to kind of put it out there in the world and who hosts it for you, who helps you do that. Um, then you have to obviously go and market it and get paid. Mm-hmm. Then you have to do social media. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go find your guests, right? And how long were you emailing me and texting me to come on the show when can we figure this out? <laughs> Behind the scenes, yeah. And, yeah, you know, and, and uh, I do that too. And I have a, a lady in DC, Terry Schulman, that helps me with all that. Um, but you have to be, you have to, you can't give up when you email people. When you get the numbers, you know it's them. You have to be consistent and you have to work hard to get them on the show. And it might, like Matthew McConaughey, we literally talked to him for his group for a year before he came on the show. Wow. I mean, I, 
I get that. You know, we are very different in the sense of you played in the NFL and I didn't. But this point right now, everything you just said is like hits me hard because that's everything that we're doing now at Triple Play. You know, we have 25 guys on this team now and we're, you know, reaching out to get interviews. We're doing, you know, weekly, not even weekly. We're doing like three pieces of content a day on our YouTube channel, social media everywhere, like trying to do everything that, like you said. And it's, it's a grind. It really is a grind, but it, it's fun. And it's but it's something that, like you said, it's a lot of persistence and hard work if you want to make sure that people are Wait, listening to you. How do you have 25 guys? We just, uh, just all your buddies. Uh, no, it's, it started out with a few of our buddies. And then we just uh, as we grew, we picked up more people through Twitter that wanted to join. And, and now we got a team of 25 guys here that we all do baseball, football. And are basketball. you paying all of them? Are they helping you? Uh, so right now all our income goes towards our, like, basically like, like the intros you saw, like we have like a bunch of those, like I, money goes to making those, our website, like goes up to the website. It goes to like, uh, marketing, like everything that we make goes right back in and everybody's like, Hey, I believe in the brand. I believe in what's being built. And ultimately they're like, you know, I want to be a part of it, even if there's no money to it. Cause it's a good platform. I have me and Terry, that's it. That's all to do our show. But you guys are crushing it. I mean, no, we're not crushing it. But like, uh, we, neither one of us, I know nothing about um, how to use Adobe or how to take the separate the audio and the video. I mean, I tried it, but it took me literally about thirty six hours just to separate to figure out how to use that stuff and watching YouTube videos. And I'm like, there's no way I'm spending my time doing all this. So I basically pay a producer to film the show cut it up and then send it back to me and i put it up and that's it that's i mean that's I, not I mean if i had people that wanted to work with me and do those things that would be incredible because you need people you can't do it all by yourself and it's been really tough in that regard because just like you you're a teacher everybody has other mm -hmm. components and you want to put the best product out there and when you have somebody come on that's really good at a certain part of it right it's it's super exciting um uh, that that you know, it takes some of the workload off of you. Like if you have somebody that's great at calling a company saying, Hey, would you like to spot, you know, be a sponsor for our show? Mm -hmm. Here's how many people subscribe here. Many listeners we have, you know, there's so many things like that, that you got to do that. If you're not good at that and you try to do it, people recognize it right away. Yeah, no, I mean, you have to, everything about it, you have to go about, whether it's like, you know, figuring how you want to word emails to, to sponsors, like it has to be like listing your numbers, you have to be like all your analytics, you have to show your growth, you have to like, there, there's so much that I've learned just over the last like year and a half that we've been really doing this. And it's like operating a business in a sense, because you have to bring on the right people, you know, you don't want to bring on people that reflect badly of your, your brand or your company, you want to Make sure that everybody's working hard and that people aren't getting discouraged and you got to keep everybody's spirits upright if you're kind of hitting a lull and you got to still bring in guests to to keep things you know people like oh man like he's coming on like he's coming on like oh they're coming on and you know it things to spark interest and people wanting to tune into your stuff so I, again like you're doing really well with that and like you know for the team two you have and you have a producer you guys are really doing an awesome job thank you i appreciate that yeah and it's like uh well, you know, I think the best thing about podcasting is you can tell the story the way you want to. You don't have some guy in the background saying, um, no, we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> you know, you like you can just talk about whatever. You can ask any questions you want. And if the guest doesn't want to answer, you just go, OK, I'm going to ask you something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's very laid back. And I think podcasting is great from that sense. I have a friend right now who owns a company called Winning Profile and Dr. Russell's older. Uh, and I've been talking to him about, we're going to him and his son, his son is out in California. He's in Connecticut. And he goes, what is podcasting all about? This is literally like two weeks ago. And I said, Gary, it's how you can, you can not only tell people about your company, you can tell them what it's about, and then you can bring guests on and tell them how your company helped them and affected them in a positive way. And it, it's just kind of like free marketing and advertising for yourself on social media. And he goes, Oh, I don't know if I could do one. So I had him go to my buddy. Uh, so Marcus Ogden, who does a podcast called the Levin Marcus show. Um, Marcus talks a lot about business. Marcus is my, he coaches me um, for business and how to, you know, for keynote speaking and all that. And I said, go on Marcus's show and just do a podcast. So you see what it's like as the guest. 
before you just jump into it. And now I'm going to help him create his own podcast. And I said, it's great. You can have guests on like you, we are today, or you can just talk and tell your own story. You don't even need guests on. Like, I'm sure, I don't know if you do this at all. You can go and just talk about, go take a half hour and talk about the Chargers Raiders game. You know, and people want to hear that stuff in your opinion. And that's, what's great about podcasting. I love it. I could definitely, I could talk with you about podcasting forever, but I want to be respectful of your time and I want to get you out of here with what makes triple play fantasy a little bit different and give you the triple play fantasy rapid fire questions. So these are just Let's some go. this or that style. Maybe you haven't heard of these. Are you game? I'm ready. I used to do this too. Uh, did you do like wild questions or were they just kind of like, uh, I would be like, okay, if you're going to pick your Mount Rushmore of, uh, you know, whatever that person gotcha. was a fan of, like uh, Matthew McConaughey, he's a huge Redskin guy. And uh, I said, who's your Mount Rushmore Redskin players? You know, and he just, stuff like that. It was kind of fun. Okay, so well, ahead, I'll, maybe I'll give you some, some new ones here for you. So, number one, pancakes, waffles, or French toast? You got to rank them. Uh, for me, it, it's probably pancakes, French toast, and waffles. Really? Pancakes number one? Okay. Oh, my God. I, I go to uh, Original Pancake House. And they have their 49er flapjacks. Those are my absolute favorite ones. <laughs> I've never heard of those, but those sound pretty good, whatever they are. Um, oh, yeah. Well, my kids like waffles, so we eat waffles a lot, but they're not my favorite. <laughs> All right. Second one. You got to play one quarter of NFL action right now, or you got to shave your head and your hair does not grow back. Well, I have a terrible head, so I've already got a bunch of injuries, so I just play a quarter in the NFL. <laughs> and I was a backup, so that means I'd be sitting on the bench. So that's perfect. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's a good loophole. Uh, rather do laundry or do the dishes? Well, my wife works full time, so I do both. Let me see. The dishes are way easier because you just rinse them off and throw them in a dishwasher. Laundry is like taking it from the washing machine, putting it in the dryer, taking it out and folding it. And like, there's always a pile. Like my boys are home. They both graduated from college. And they're trying to find jobs in their respective fields. And it's tough. The world's mm -hmm. tough out there right now. And it's like, can't you guys just like take your clothes and put them like <laughs> from the washer to the dryer? It's not that hard. And so they're just sitting there and it drives me insane. So I got to go do it. But the only thing that's so with, I would say with, dishes. The thing with dishes, like imagine you have like a big like lasagna dinner or something. And then you see in the sink, there's like, it's so full to where it's like over the sink level, where it's like on top of the sink. That gives me anxiety. I don't know. Like laundry doesn't give me that same well, type of. No, it's not bad because it gives me a little break. But most of the time, like my wife is ingrained in the kids so much about how, like, don't leave a dirty dish in the sink, at least spray it off. So it's mm -hmm. not like baked on there. And then the lasagna dish, we've learned now, like, just spray the pan or put something down so nothing sticks. Like, there's that's nothing worse than like you have a sheet pan or a lasagna pan. It's just overcooked, burnt, and oh you just God. can't get it off anymore. Yeah, that's that's giving me just some anxiety just thinking about it. Um, all right, would you rather re uh, fulfill your biggest wish or resolve your biggest regret? I fulfill my biggest wish. I don't really have many regrets in life, but uh, um, obviously we know probably the one I'd like to take back. But uh, <laughs> as far as far as a wish, you know. One thing that my wife and I want to do that we really wish for is we haven't really traveled the world and we'd like to do that. Oh, that, would, that sounds really awesome. Uh, all right. A couple more for you. Would you rather be able to speak to animals or every language in the world? Oh, speak to animals. Wouldn't you want to know what your dog's thinking or saying right now? Yep. Like, 100%. like we, we have a miniature, we have like a, uh, they call him a pocket pit bull and she's a year old and she literally thinks that she's going to talk one day. Because she just like, she's always talking and like, you know, making these weird noises. We're like, oh yeah, she's going to speak one day. Like really. But we would love, I think we'd love to hear what animals would have to say. I mean, because we have Google, like you just go, hey Siri, what, you know, what do they say? And, and like, you can, there's a translator on your phone mm -hmm. and you can pretty much translate every language anyway. That's a really good point. Like, yeah, like in today's day and age speaking, like you can literally whatever you want to say, you can figure it out. Yeah, you can't put your phone up and say, hey, Siri, what did Fido say? You know what I mean? She's going to be like, oh, he's barking. I don't know. Give it another 10 or 15 years. We might be at that point with how technology That's true. Going. I'm sure the University of Pennsylvania is going to figure it out yeah. at some point. <laughs> All right, I'll give you two more. Would you rather wake up with $1,000 under your pillow every day or every day you get to wake up with a new superpower? 
I mean, but does your superpower continue or does it just go away? Like you only get it for one day. You get each superpower for one day. So like, let's say you have super speed and the next day you wake up with super strength and the next day you wake up, you can fly. But like you get a new one every well, I, day. I, am, I have super aches and pains. So that one, I do have that one every day. <laughs> no, I mean, I think obviously you can make money. You can't have superpowers. So I would definitely take the superpowers. I, that's what I would do too. I like that. Uh, last one. Would you rather be the best in the world at one thing or be good at everything? Well, I think that's the problem. A lot of people, they think they're good at everything, you know, so you get kind of lost in the mix. I think if you're good at one thing, it's really good for you and all the people around you. So I, and I've had that issue as well. Like I want to be really good at my podcast, but I also love to consult and do other, a lot of other things. So I think just being good at one thing would be incredible. I completely agree with that one. And on that note, Gus, man, I appreciate you taking almost an hour to come sit with me today, talk about our podcast, talk about, you know, some this or that, obviously talk about your incredible career. Really appreciate you, man. No, I appreciate you having me on. And I gotta, I, I mean, I gotta ask you, I gotta, let me know what I gotta say to people to come on and help me with the show. Because I mean, if I had some more help, I, we'd be blowing this thing out of the water. Uh, just put it, you know, we just put it out on Twitter and then you just have, we just had some interviews over what we're on now, StreamYard, and we just have calls to say, hey, this is the opportunity that you'll have, like potential for monetary income at some point. But, you know, for right now, you have a good platform. You get to talk with great people. You get to be part of something great and people. So, so are you the only one that interviews? Me and then my brother uh, do most of the interviews. A couple other guys hop in every once in a while, but. Uh, who's, it's the, mostly, who, who's the better interviewer, you or your oh, brother? By far, me. By far. Okay. Yeah. Uh, That's good. Is he older or younger? He's younger than me. He's two and a half years younger. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you better tell him that he's got to step up his game. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that, Gus. That, thank you so much, man. And before we get out of here, please, can you plug again your great podcast? Because again, people need to make sure they tune in. Hey, everyone. It's Gus Farratt, host of Huddle Up with Gus. Hey, I want you to come out and check my uh, podcast out, Huddle Up with Gus. You can find me wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, or you can go to my website, uh, huddleupwithgus.com, and you can find all my episodes and other things. I have a clothing line on there that, that you can go to and check out clothes. I'm terrible at graphics, but they say Huddle Up with Gus, and if you like that, you can get one. But uh, check me out at Huddle Up with Gus, or you can find me on social media at Huddle Up with Gus or at Gus Farah. Again, great guy, great career. Great podcast. I'm looking you... better in the sun or in the shade. I think the shade's a way better. I've been so in Pittsburgh, it's probably a little bit like Baltimore's a little more sunny, but Pittsburgh is always gray. So where I sit to do these shows, it's never like the sun. But today there's no clouds. 